0: What a week is right. Paul, let's start with China. I've got my views. I'm sure you've got yours. But why don't you set the stage about what we've seen in the context of, of China. And, you know, I was looking at some things today. And this this sell-off we've had in Hong Kong recently is comparable to what we saw in, in 2015, which was the culmination of the bursting of the equity bubble and the revaluation of the renminbi going into the uh, special drawing rights basket. But why don't you set the stage about what we're seeing
1: in China and just how bad the damage is currently? What came out today was that Hill House Capital is in trouble, and there's been a lot of forced liquidation by Hill House, and that's a $30 billion fund. So I was tracking down as much as I could today on that, and they uh, denied the rumors today. And of course, there's nothing worse. It's the kiss of death to deny a liquidation rumor, right? You're a goner. We only have $6 billion, only, only $6 billion in Chinese ADRs. And I think that's correct. Now, that what they did not say was how much they had in U.S. stocks and in Hong Kong stocks and HK listed stocks uh, in the Hong Kong stock exchange.
0: But do me a favor, explain to everyone what Hill House, who Hill House is, because it's not a well-known name. It's well-known name in our circles. For me, it's what you've just said is incredibly surprising because I look at Hill House through the venture capital lens. They were early stage investors going all the way back to Alibaba, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Clearly, they've got fingers in more pies than what most people think. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Hill House? what they are and you know and sort of the reach their Well,
1: I, so let's just say, I mean, I, I mean, if I could give them a sense of the Chinese equivalent of the American version, I think they have the prestige of Blackstone in China. Yeah. They, they are yeah. very well-respected, very professional. They're uh-huh. not like swinging from the just gunslingers or cowboys. They're not like uh, bozos. They're not like a bunch of princelings. They're all a f- very professional bunch. Now... Uh, what I learned today, which I did not know, was that last year, I don't think this is very smart. Last year, they joined up with Jardine Matheson as their partner in Hong Kong. And I, I just think all those Hongs of your of yesteryear, probably just piss off China.
0: Tying up with Thai pans is not really sort of a, what I call a modern thing to do. I right know.
1: Right? Probably didn't go over well. I don't know. I, I don't want to go down a road of black hands here and this is awfully, this is weirdly coincident with the revelation about, you know, whether China is actually helping Russia or, or Russia solicited help in the form of some hardware and some missiles to help Russia with Ukraine. I have a theory. I think that Hill House has been in trouble for a while and they've been quietly selling and it's only become a revelation since. Think about it, Paul. Think about all of the holdings they have. One of them, which is a, a real favorite of mine, C, was a very large holding of Hill House. Right. And if you go down the list of all the stocks that have been crushed to pieces, that's Hill House, Hill House, Hill House, Hill House. Mm-hmm. You know, ten Tencent, there's a, a bunch of them. Let's see, I got it right in front of me in my hot little hands here. Yeah, so we have PDD, Healthcare, JD, ZIQ, Uber, ESGR, Billy. These are, uh, all of these are your, like, people have an S-C is another one. And and everyone's been asking, what is going on here? Why are these guys being pulverized? And when you think about it, think about it, think back, think back. And you say, whenever you have a systemic sort of a sell-off because of a distressed investor who's in trouble, you get this, like, you get a consistent, persistent sell-off in a concentrated group of stocks, they tend to have similar characteristics. And then when you find out that they're the main holdings of the guy who's in the most trouble, A, they're liquidating probably because of leverage, and B, other people have found out and are front-running them, unfortunately, because Wall Street is built on shark behavior. Look, I'm just going to
0: throw that out there as a theory. I'm well, no, but look, what you've set out is very logical, right? Because this is Bill Wang 2.0 this time last year. Bill Wang had a bad couple of days. We lost twenty billion dollars in a couple of days, which I would put broadly in the definition of a bad a bad week. Hmm. But look, at the end of this is going to sound very simplistic, but it's very very true that we, as analysts, but particularly the pundit world, the media world, loves to create narratives out of price action, right? And there are times where it is simply the fact that someone is dumping something, right? And, yep. and look, it's all. And look, there always is a confluence of events, right? We do have COVID in China, right? Shenzhen is shut. That is a valid reason to to de-risk, right? We have China being over at skis in regards to their support for Russia. A valid reason to de-risk. But at the end of the day, when you have these unruly disruptions, they have to come from someone. The reason that markets go down is people sell right? And as dumb as that sounds, markets don't go down if people don't sell, right? And when you have these, when you combine leverage and bad narratives and poor risk management, you can have situations like this. You can have Bill Wang. You can have the price of nickel going to $100,000 a ton, right? Because someone got over their skis on the short side. Dislocations like this occur. Now, the encouraging thing, all things being equal, is dislocations eventually end. Right, and if you look at the list of stocks that Bill Huang was involved in, that they, they, a lot of those names rebounded. I'm going to make an assumption, my friend, that you don't believe a rebound is going is necessarily on the cards. Right?
1: Well, I was chatting today. I was just reflecting before our start. I think, Paul, the, I think there's a lot of two-way chatter today on gee, this, this looks really overdone. I mean, look at Tencent. Tencent has just you know, freaking collapsed. Um, and Tencent was one of their holdings. Uh, C was one of their holdings. Uber was one of their holdings, a big holding. And so I'm going to say that we're closer to the end than the beginning. And if this is a liquidation of an entity rather than an all-out risk-off, China's going to blow up or there's going to be a default. I just don't believe I think all that's crap. And so I'm going to say we're closer to the end than the beginning. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that is interesting to, there's a company called Beijing Beijing Limited, where they own 23%, on holdings, 9%, Legend Biotech, 8%, Salesforce, 8%, Mm. right? JD, huge, C, they were a 4% holder of C. That's why C has collapsed. DoorDash, Mondelez, KE Holdings, a lot of these guys. And and so when you figure it out, I mean, and and, and that gets you only to the 3% names. And then we're going down to to names that were 1% or 2%. Mm. And so one of my really good, trusted uh, clients, he's like, wow, ten cent looks so irresistible if we can have a little bit of confidence that we're likely getting to the end of the selling rather than the beginning. And so what people are saying is, okay, uh, Hill House was not, Candid about their holdings, they said it was only seven billion in Chinese ADRs. And then you say, "Well, hold on a second here, for God's sake, you've got a bunch of U.S. holdings of U.S. stocks, either in Nasdaq or NYSE, plus all of your Hong Kong listing." And I I counted nineteen forty five. There's forty five different stocks that are that are, that are that are that are half percent or more. Uh, right, but it's to, not up to
0: Hill House to be transparent to the market if they're liquidating, right? Because you've just alluded to this. What do and we we've talked about this in the context of the Federal Reserve reducing its balance sheet, right? Why is the Fed balance sheet not going to be reduced? Because the moment no, the Fed announces it's selling its balance sheet, interest rates go through the roof because everyone dumps securities ahead of the Fed selling. I get why they did this, and I. Fair it's funny you fair and I were talking fair before fair about fair. Our, our mutual friend Andy Rothman who was on CNBC yesterday, and we were saying that Andy, who's a China, one of the best long-term China strategists out there, Andy looked a bit tired. And Andy looked tired because he had to deal with some stupid bloody questions saying, well, Andy, don't you believe that China is uninvestable? No, China's not uninvestable. China's having a rough time, right? Is the Cathie Wood universe uninvestable because it's down 65%? Are marijuana stocks un- uninvestable because they're down 65%, right? You have these times of, of look, China's going through a really rough period right now. It's got this confluence of things that are all sort of steaming ahead, and then you throw in an over an overled asset manager, and you have periods like this, which frankly, and I'm, I'm about to give you sort of the, the counter argument to the bullishness to any bullishness that people may have. But if you want a sign of a low or a sign of a low, have mass liquidation and peak bearishness at the same time, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, what, what you,
1: these mass liquidations usually will come when somebody is not being responsible in terms of risk management, when they're hiding the tickets, when they're buy more, it'll go up, and all this jazz about just being irresponsible. In the background, we do have this sort of simmering property issue that is, you know, problematic in, in, in southern China. And I don't know what to make of that. But there no, is this policy easing that policy regional
0: policy easings going on in property across the board. I mean, there is there's certainly the Chinese at the margin are tweaking policy looser. That's undeniable. But mate, let me give you the not so bullish, the medium-term bearish thing about for, for China. And it devolves around the ongoing discussion of, of China and Russia, right? So the last Russian default saw a load of people make a lot of money. Which is very commonplace in an emerging market default or default cycles, because you have investors who are distressed investors who are brave enough to go in and buy and buy at severely discounted levels, take advantage of the legal structures, put capital to work where no one is prepared to do so, invest in illiquid situations, and you know companies like you know Mark Lazary and and Elliot and Avenue Capital, the like, have made a fortune doing this. Well, one of the reasons they made money is you always had these institutional tailwinds after you got through that first phase of negativity after the defaults themselves that basically made took Russia back into the mainstream and Indonesia back into the mainstream, Brazil back into the mainstream over time. The problem this time around, and why right we've talked about this, why Russia is, is looks destined to go be you know, call it a lost decade uninvestable until putin leaves office is the fact that no esg oriented fund and it's not just an esg mandate but anyone who takes governance seriously right which is uh, you know which is governance in terms of the asset allocation decision making process has gone up exponentially in the in the importance of that right you can't invest in russia now i think it is not too much of a stretch and I've had conversations with clients who are having these conversations internally, that China's support of Russia, the global pariah, is going to lower governance scores for China to such an extent. Look, we're not getting sanctions out of the the Western world on China on the back of this because China is too important from a global supply chain security standpoint. We know that can't happen. But what you can have is individual private sector embargoes from companies who take governance seriously, US state pensions, US endowments and university endowments, certain sovereign wealth funds around the world who take this stuff seriously. And they're going to turn around and say, because of Russia, because of Xinjiang, because of human rights abuses, because of the absence of democracy, right? Because of certain environmental issues. Mm -hmm. China now, is a country that we can't invest in, right? And I think that you face a real risk, not only of the delist- look, the, de- the Chinese delistings, that's coming in 20- by 2024. There'll be no, I believe there's no Chinese companies in, in the United States list on exchanges from 2024 onwards, right? But I think that you risk in the near term, big organisations who take governance seriously, turning around and saying, China, we can't invest there. And I think it becomes this is a real problem over the medium to long term for yeah. You know, well, I've always pointed to Paul, why I've been so bullish on Chinese assets for a very long time and clearly haven't been right, right? Has been that the fact that China is the glaring example where China's economic might is not reflected in in capital allocations to global portfolios. China's 17% of global GDP it's 6% of msci world it's the it's the glaring example where economic power and economic influence is not represented in asset asset allocation right i see nothing from what i've seen in the last this with their involvement with russia their their continued ignorance of of, of global norms right that will see that gap shrink uh-huh. where higher allocations to China are warranted, even as China eventually becomes the world's biggest
1: economy? Well, I would say a couple of things. I think that if you're talking to a person who is a fluent English speaker, who is a senior guy who's 50 years old, who is an advisor to the state council, he would say, yes, Paul, you're right. And guess what else? We don't care. Because we know that China is going to be thrown out of the American indices. We, we, have, we have anticipated that. And then he would say to you, did you happen to read what is coming out of the party Congress in preparation for the fall? China has eliminated the dual circulation, critically important dual circulation idea that you know, China was going to have this internal circulation for domestic consumption and sort of a dual circulation, an external circulation for external trade. China is turning it on itself. They, they, they've, they've, they've abandoned that. China is going to be a domestic consumption story going forward. And the international element is going to be de-emphasized, for better or for worse. But look, at they have their own market. They have 1.5 billion people. They have a 300 million person middle class. And by the way, Russia has not been undermining. Russia has not been giving weapons to Taiwan. Russia has not been smuggling weapons into Xinjiang to foment a a domestic revolution on Chinese soil. Russia has not been involved in hanky-pank in Hong Kong, uh, fomenting and paying Hong Kong people to throw $10,000, to throw Molotov cocktails at police and PRC agents and PRC national security police. Russia has done none of that. Russia has been a decent ally to us. Russia is not trying to undermine China. Russia is not trying to seek regime change, which is it was an explicit policy of at least five Republican senators. And Paul, really importantly here, he would say, if he was having a drink with you in private and he could trust you, he would say, we're the biggest trading partner of the Ukraine. We want that stuff that Ukraine makes. is really important to us. We're a major investor. We're the third largest cumulative investor in Ukraine after Germany and America. And we have, unfortunately, during the Olympics, Xi Jinping, whether it was for the better or for worse, agreed on allowing Putin to take Donbass and, and uh, Luhansk and nothing else. But now it seems that China has to be all in on this. And by the way, why are we going all in? We're going all in because why? China is, the last time I checked, was 10 times larger an economy than Russia. Do you know what's going to happen here? This is the first time in the history of the Silk Road of 2,500 years. China has eyes of making Russia a vassal state in the same way that America has made, whether you like it or not, Canada and the Five Eyes kind of vassal states, the American imperial. Hegemonic, hegemonic experiment.
0: Man, it's pretty hard to see how there's not that twenty-five billion dollar stake that BP has in Rosneft is not in the hands of PetroChina. It's pretty hard to see how Gazprom is not part of Sinopec, at some, or, or the or the linkages between those two companies are are not continued to be re to be
1: reinforced. Um, and you know, guess. Is it replacing, I just read this today, guess who's replacing very, very kindly, guess who's replacing all of the MasterCard and Visa pretty much instantaneously in in Russia? Union Mm -hmm. Day. Yeah. So I don't know what these talks were like between Blinken and his Chinese counterpart yesterday in Rome, but it was seven hours and it was probably very contentious. But I expect they had some pretty serious discussions on Okay, the grown-ups are in the room. We can twist arms on both sides, on the NATO side and on the Russia side. Hmm. China can twist Russia's arm. I, I'm sure of that. To come up with some solution, yeah. just is how it happens. So there's so much jetsam and flotsam in, in the in the debate right now because you have this liquidation of Hill House. But on the other hand, there was a lot of discussion today about the possibility of some sort of negotiated settlement. On, on a number of issues. I just took some notes. The, 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 the president of um, Finland gave an interview today. Basically, Crimea needs to be recognized, a much bigger Donbass, a neutrality treaty that makes Ukraine like Finland. I don't think Ukraine's very happy with that. And then demilitarization. And very importantly, some sort of meeting on reparations. Because Ukraine is not going to sign anything until they get a big fat check of like ten billion dollars to help rebuild.
0: Oh, and that that, and we know where that's getting paid by. Well, sorry, sorry, that's no, that's not necessarily fair. I mean, part of the I assume part of any agreement from the Russian standpoint is the unfreezing of reserves. Right. So look, and again, it's not like Russia didn't have reserves. Russia, Russia, economy, you and I talked about this regularly. If, if Putin wasn't misbehaving at the start of the year, everyone would have been max long Russian assets. Right. Because look at look at, you know, the commodities, the commodity cycle was going that way. I mean, look, at, you know, Russia is a huge beneficiary longer term of the of the energy of the energy transition because it produces a lot of stuff that is needed for that energy transition. Right. So, no, it's but it's look, it's 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 look, it's. I think there is, look, this in, it's in no one's interest, the United States or the Chinese, for this to continue to, to drag on, right? And again, if we want to look at market signals of a potential thing happening, right, the market getting more confident that something's coming to an end, it's the oil price down 35% from its highs, right? And gas prices halved, European gas prices have halved, right? So there's certainly, there's certainly some... If the market is a guide to this, and I'm not a, I'm not a believer that the market is some sage, all seeing, all-knowing, predictive force, but all down 35% from its highs are pretty darn telling to me. Right. And that's why that's why I bought a little bit, I bought a little bit of NASDAQ this morning. I like being long equity here. Obviously, you've got a Fed meeting coming up, and there's a lot of risk around. But the negative story towards global equity does dissipate if oil's 35% from its highs. To looking at that very simplistically,
1: I put it. As- yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think it's fair. And is oil going down because the market senses a settlement? I think that is a reasonable conclusion. Again, mate, look oil's roughly back to where it
0: was when the invasion occurred, roughly, right? And and stocks are ten percent low. So put it this way: if you wanted confirmation, right, that the inflation that inflation is peaking. It's oil down 35% from its highs. Right. That's, I think, is something which is I think is really a really good sign uh, that things are that things are from an inflation standpoint, which is the big risk to everything economically. Oil down 35% from its highs probably is a sign that inflation is peaked. And that gets me pretty pretty darn constructive on not, not Chinese equity, because I do think there's a, I do think the governance problems are are going to be an overhang and there might be a tradable bounce, but nothing more. But globally, particularly, particularly European equity, looks remarkably compelling with oil, oil and gas prices where they are today.
1: I think that's fair. I, I think that's fair. I, I mean, the, the couple of really smart clients I have today are just like, wow, this 10 cents, this 10 cent looks really, really intriguing.
0: Baidu, so, Baidu's the same. I think Baidu,
1: I think I, I haven't looked at it. I couldn't tell you. I think
0: Baidu might be trading with a single digit multiple.
1: Well, I mean, I'll give you an example. I think that, that, that Alibaba is not too far away from trading at cash, right? I mean, oh, it's just, oh, I didn't know that. Is that right? So, Alibaba used to be $330. It's at $74, $75. So it's down 80%.
0: And Alibaba's at net cash? Alibaba has, yeah, it has no debt, so it's cash, right? <laughs> so, yeah, there's
1: Alibaba no has debt. cash of like $60 billion in cash.
0: Yeah. So on a three-year view alibaba at cash right what's your downside Downside's breaking up the company right Downside's breaking up the company
1: but yeah break so breakup of the company is is probably i would say it's probably going to happen and it has lost its its cachet i don't believe tencent has uh, tencent has been just as punished as alibaba yeah uh, I think Tencent is more interesting. Ping On has been just crushed to pieces. Ping On is my favorite of all of those. Yeah. That's another one that's really, really interesting. Uh, I think Ping On is below book value now.
0: Like yeah. But by, by, by do you're effectively, well, if it's, if it's if it's if it's trading single digit multiple, which I think it is at this stage, you get all their autonomous driving. You, that's probably trading close to net cash and probably get all the autonomous driving for free. So but no, one's, no one's denying the opportunity sets there at the moment, but I still think that there is... We're getting to a stage where this stuff is compelling, but whilst China continues to be an all-in supporter of Russia and this is going on, it's hard to own this stuff. But we'll put it this way. Let's think about it slightly differently. If there's an announcement on a peace deal, the first thing you would probably buy is Alibaba, Baidu, Tencent and JD, right? It's not European banks, it's this stuff. If there's an announcement of a peace deal, the European banks aren't the first thing you buy. It's Alibaba, Alibaba, Baidu, Tencent, and JD. That's the stuff you buy.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 um, I think that's right, and and it's not on people's radar screens because of that. That's that idiotic, uninvestable, stupid, you know, crap that everyone heard about that Asia. Oh, lost decade in 1998 when you and I were there. Oh, no one's ever going to invest in Asia ever again. Well, they'll come back in the year 2000. Well. It went up 200% you know, by 2002. And then Russia, oh boy, nuclear power, default, nobody's ever going to invest in Russia ever again. Uh, all these clowns at long-term capital management, LTC, they, they were raising money in a new fund two years later. You're only as good as your next trade on Wall Street. See, the, tra- not- the trouble is, Paul, you and I, and again, we'll, you,
0: know, you look at firms like Chris Rokos, they lost 20, 25% last year and they raised a billion dollars at the start of the year. Our problem, Mr. Shulte, is you've no. Sorry, your problem. You've never lost enough money. That's your. That's your issue. If you lose a million dollars, that's a problem. You lose a billion dollars, you're a rock star who can get it back.
1: I know that's right. I've never lost a billion dollars, unfortunately. Yeah, I know that's so funny. What, yeah, what, I, I what think we are done uh, with our lives. <laughs> I think that. I think that's probably right. I think that China is in. is, is really understands how how much of a blunder last week's all in on Russia was. And that's why I think they've agreed. That's why I think I'm astonished that they had a seven hour meeting. I'm really astonished because I I would have thought that they would have just wanted to throw rotten eggs at Lincoln when they walked into a meeting.
0: It's It's actually remarkably constructive
1: that that meeting took
0: place for that amount of time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very, very positive. Very, very good. And I think it was, it happened in Rome. It was a very, very long meeting. There was constructive talk at the end of it. There was also very frank talk. That's good. Both of them came out bitchy because they knew they were going to have to talk about very hardcore, troublesome, and prickly issues. And I think Russia trusts China as a neutral partner. It's weird. We were thinking, who's the neutral partner that can do this? And it was China. <laughs> when You know what, Bennett ugh, Bennett's message as the prime minister of Israel to Zelensky was, surrender. That, that, that's your best option. Zelensky must have told him to go jump in a lake because Israel's got uh, Russia in Syria now. Russia is a very important yeah. part. Syria is a client state of Russia right now, for better or for worse. And so Israel has going to be very careful about pissing off Russia because Russia can stir the pot with, Hezbollah and all that lunacy in that area of the world, and 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 then you even hear the, the prime minister of Finland talking. He was very smarmy about Russia. I mean, yes, you know they're they're, they're neutral, but Finland's a client state of, of Russia. Come
0: Well, but it's funny you say that. It's it's funny, but very funny timing about this. So I was chatting to a friend of mine, literally two hours ago, who is English but married to a Finnish woman and works in a family office in Finland. And he was saying that NATO membership has gone from being one in four people were supporting two years ago to just over 50% prior to the invasion, so a couple of weeks back, and now it's currently at 65% popularity. Mm-hmm. And it's so popular now that most people would agree, don't want a referendum, they just want the government to do it. And But politically, to get it through, get it done through the through the, the Finnish parliament is going to be very, very difficult just because of the political processes. But it's very interesting how what Russia's escapades in Ukraine have done to galvanise even a passive state and, and certainly what was historically a, a, a state that was very influenced by the USSR and Russia has sort of looked towards now, look towards sort of more European engagement.
1: And I think Sweden as well. I think Sweden is is having that. Uh, it sounds like Sweden's discussion internally is similar to Finland's because Sweden has had a really big uh, change of heart. And of course today we've had the prime ministers of Slovenia, Czech Republic, and Hungary taking yep. a train. Yeah, and they're gonna and then and I, I really admire them. I, I think it's hugely brave because they're okay. saying, yeah, "Come yeah, and get. Sure. We, we dare you to blow us up." Cause that's an act of a war on, on NATO. And so I think it's incredibly brave that they're doing this as a sign of NATO. What do you want to call it? NATO uh, camaraderie, whatever the word is. Yeah. Yeah. So how's the now? How is the wake looking for you? I'm heading out to a client trip in the United States. I'm going to be going to, um, I'm going to be going to the four corners. I'm going to be going to New York and New Jersey and Florida and LA and San Francisco all in about eight days. And so I'm going to be seeing clients and we're going to be talking last time, about- when's the, last time, when's, when's the last time were you here? This is my first trip in three years since the COVID. And I, ah, I got- That does sound fun. Like That does got, sound good. So I got a COVID test today. So that's good. I was very worried about that. So now I can get on a plane. Brilliant. mate! safe travels and we'll do this again next week. Okay, cool. Good stuff. Thanks so much. Thanks everyone. Bye.